We have our four semi-finalists confirmed and there's a familiar feeling about the four teams who are going to face off in the final weekend. We have Denmark playing Spain and France playing Sweden. And that's familiar because it is the exact same teams and the exact same matchups we saw in the 2021 World Championship in Egypt. And just one team, Sweden, missing from the Olympic semifinals who were replaced by Egypt. I'm joined by Chris O'Reilly. Hello, Alex. And the person sitting in the room beside him, Brian Campion. Hello, Alex. Hello, Chris. It's great to see you in the flesh again. It's been a long time. And uh, Alex, you're so close yet so far. Time, only time will tell whether we'll all be together at the end of this championship, but at least the podcast will keep us together. So that was, uh, yeah, that was something that I didn't really realize until dinner last night after the games when Courtney Gay had mentioned it. And I was like, that doesn't really feel the same. I don't know, maybe, you know, in her case, as someone who goes to the world championships and the Olympics and is like so embedded, it feels like repetitive, but for the Euro, it doesn't feel repetitive. That's kind of the feeling I get for it. Uh, like when you take Denmark, for example, who haven't won it the Euro in 10 years, it doesn't feel like it's the same teams kind of popping up over and over again. Uh, if we look back to the last Euro, Denmark and France were knocked out in the first round. So in that sense, it's revolutionary. It's great that these two young up-and-coming teams were able to develop so much since their early elimination two years ago. <laughs> but I, before the tournament, I, I asked both of you that question of, are the top teams in the tournament just so much better than the others? And are we just going to see the same countries line up in a semi-final again, which is what's happened. But I agree with you. It, it has been a tournament where these teams had to really work for it. Um, all of them. And um, there's a lot of surprises throughout, but maybe in the end that the quality shines through or maybe the format with the main round favors these big teams and allows them um at least one loss in the competition and still a chance to get through yeah let's not forget it was a razor close that it could have been norway and iceland also in the in the semis and i think i personally would have preferred that but look you can't pick them so we'll have to we'll have to deal what's in front of us and uh should we start maybe with the game last night between france and and denmark yeah, um, I want to get your opinion on this, Alex, first of all. What, what went through your mind when you saw that Matthias Giesel, Magnus Saugstrup and uh, Mikkel Hansen were rested for this game? Good feeling was that it was a mistake, to be honest. Um, I really think that momentum in handball is really important. And we saw the in-game momentum and what it can do um, in both of the key um, main round matchups where yeah, France just came back at the end with momentum and the same in the other group where Sweden used momentum to get back into the game. But I think in tournament momentum is really important as well. And, you know, you can say that, okay, Denmark are going to come out of this game after losing by one goal against, you know, losing by one goal with a weakened team and be like, ah, it's fine. We almost beat them without our stars. But 
Then you kind of look at the players and someone like Jakob Holm, who had the game of his life, he really showed up, put his heart into it. And looking at him at the end of the game, he was heartbroken. And I think there's no way that there's, it's not going to have an impact on the attitude of this Danish team. You know, you can imagine them kind of sauntering around this whole competition being like, we are by far the best. Waking up being like, oh, who's the next team we're going to destroy? And now with that loss, there's a couple of players that have that disappointed feeling, maybe wake up feeling a bit sore because they lost that game, uh, as opposed to the full energy of winning a game. And they've let France into the semifinals, a French team that beat them in the Olympics uh, just six months ago. So I think it's a it's a mistake. Yeah, this is crazy to say this now. Uh, a bit wild, but actually I think I agree with you, Alex. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, my gut reaction was, one, I better change my prediction, which I forgot to do, which I regretted now. And two, yeah, like you said, do you really want France in a semi-final like that? Because we've seen them change into different beasts when they get in there. And I think having Iceland in there, yeah, it's going to be like a national holiday in Iceland, but they don't have the same amount of experience to win tournaments like that. And I think you'd, would you, you'd want teams like that rather, in, from a Danish perspective, in there, maybe like Iceland, you'd rather that than having a team of absolute winners who, when they want to play handball, they can beat anybody. And yeah, so my gut feeling wasn't good either. What, in hindsight, really annoyed me about all of this with the players that were not used is that the, the squad that was there wasn't used either. That, I think, is the biggest mistake after all this. You know, uh, Nikolai Jakobsen used like nine players in the whole home, the whole game. Jakob Holm and Nicholas Kekulöke had a fantastic match. Rasmus Lager played a huge amount of the game and they did everything they could. There was no sense of like Denmark throwing it away with the players that were on the court, but the squad that was there just wasn't used in the end. And, you know, after the game, when you look down from the media tribune and you see Lasse Andersen and Henrik Toff doing sprints because they haven't even played a second on the court, you're wondering why the hell weren't they used? You know, Aaron Mensing got four seconds on court, took one shot, and then he got the hook. Um, it, that, I think, was a, was a big mistake in that regard. And if, I mean, you could have Gietzel, you could have Hansen, you could have Saugstrup on the bench for that game. Maybe they're not going to play a second. They're still watching the match anyway on the sideline. And then they're there as kind of backup in case the situation what happened last night happens and you need the guys to come on and steady the ship for the last 10 minutes. Um, well, not even the last 10 minutes. I mean, it was the last three minutes that it all went away, but there were some situations like the six on five situations when you just want Mikkel Hansen there in the center dishing out the passes, not Lauga trying to whip them across court because he just, he, he never gets to do it in training probably. <laughs> do you think though, like if, uh, it's damned if you do or damned if you don't. He played a full team strength team yesterday and won, let's just say, mm. and then lost in the final into another. Well, is there one France out? Yeah, exactly. Correct? Yeah, but it, okay. Let's just say damned if you do, damned if you don't. He would play a full strength team, knock France out, and then lost in the semi-finals. They said he should have rested players, and I, I don't think people would be so annoyed in that sense. But I think you can rest players as he did because he rested the players that are on the bench. He may as well have had the better players in the bench just in case. Yeah, I, I think he kind of went halfway, yeah. as you're saying it, because if you're going to actually rest players, then play your full squad. Um, rest the, the likes of Jakob Holm. Um, but it was, it, was, it was an amazing performance by France in the second half. 
and I have to put my hands up. I have to put oh my, my hands God. up and say that Deacon Man proved me wrong. That was he hilarious. proved me damn wrong. <laughs> and I'll be honest with you, I I put up um, if anyone didn't see, I put up uh, a picture a lot on of Twitter with <laughs> with uh, a Where's Wally cartoon, which uh, had Deacon Mem's face on it, um, saying Where's uh, Mem, and I started making that cartoon. Before the game started, <laughs> I said because that's how confident it, I was. It was really good. having a bad game. It was really like one of your best efforts, and I think in terms of like uh, taking the piss and, and getting attention, I mean, it worked perfectly. So thank you for all the angry people that got involved there. <laughs> um, but but he was one one from yeah. six in that first half. Fr- France were playing terrible. It looked like a a classic Decomem no show. And then in the second half, he came out and fucking dominated. Seven from eight. And actually, really, it was seven from seven because the last shot he missed was just the very last second shot uh, when France had a game already yeah. won. He turned it on. And it's probably the first time I've seen Dikamem do that, where France are in trouble. So he's done it a lot in big games when he is on the team that's in control. So he can score his seven, eight goals and make sure that his team wins. But when his team is in trouble, his play in this game to turn that whole match around was something new and something I've been basically asking for from him for for a long time. I did see it once this season, and I mentioned that in the commentary as well. Uh, didn't mention the particular game. It was Barca against PSG in the Champions League where he had a very similar shooting record in the first half, like one or zero from six, and Barca were down. He comes on and quite literally wins the game on his own in the, the second half. And, and so I, he definitely had that in him. And once he scored that second or third goal, I was like, okay, maybe Dika is actually in the mood here. And that, for me, was a big turning point in the contest. Do you worry maybe we're exaggerating all this a little bit and even the fact that Denmark rested four of the best players and also then rested in-game some of the best players and it was still a tight game like that mm. that when they do play their full team they're just going to still blow everyone out of the water and we'll be looking back at this going what were we so worried about? Of course Denmark are going to win the whole thing. <laughs> well they've given themselves what appears to be on form the softest semi-final possible. Well yeah they've possibly given themselves the softest semi-final you could but was, I was talking to, to Rasmus Lauga last night uh, after the game. He obviously wasn't taking uh, Spain anywhere lightly at all. He was saying that when you come up against Spain, you're coming up against one of the best defences and goalkeeper pairings in the game. So there's nothing to take lightly mm-hmm. from uh, from this their semi-final matchup. So maybe we'll listen to Rasmus now and what he had to say directly after their, win- their loss, sorry, oops, their loss to France. Hi Rasmus. Um, it's never an easy game against France when, when Denmark come against France, is it? No, it's never an easy game. No, never. It was a it was a very challenging challenging match, but I think actually we we played we played really good. 45, maybe 50 minutes, we played amazing and we controlled the match. I think, uh, but the last 10 10 minutes we got. We got pushed back and we got we couldn't withstand the, the, the physicality they played with in their attack. They pushed us back and they made some very hard crosses. Uh, and uh, unfortunately, we didn't uh, 
we didn't handle this uh, as good as we wanted to. Do you think the psychological factor of you guys not having to win the game today, maybe came into it in the last 10 minutes that you kind of, that they, they really needed it more than you guys? Of course this plays a factor, I will, I will not deny this. Um, it's, it's, it's obvious that uh, if one team has, has something on the line, uh, they, 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 they can maybe unconsciously uh, push further and push more uh, in the end. Uh, that's definitely a factor, uh, of, course, uh, of course it is. So now you have this, the Spanish game coming up in two days' time. You know with Spain you're always going to get good goalkeepers and, and a very solid defence, but the attack this time out seems to be a little bit different, a different bit of a different setup. What do you expect to see from the Spanish team in, on Friday? Oh, uh, yeah, they got some new forces now and some very speedy playmakers, um, and 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 I think that actually helps their their game uh, a little a little. Um, but yes, like you said, it's always it's always a good defense they can put up um, and amazing uh, two amazing goalkeepers behind it. So uh, <clears throat> we have to take care of the ball, and uh, when we have the chances, we we need to take advantage of it. Um, because they also have some speedy wings and we know they will try to uh, run the fast breaks so uh, i think if we can if we can if we can convert on our chances as good as possible of course and and, and get, get back into our, into our defense i think i think we have a good shot and i think a lot of people who are handball neutrals were delighted at your personal performance this year so far i think it was great to see you back reaching those high levels again how has it felt for you out there over the whole tournament Amazing. Um, I'm so pleased to be back. I'm so happy to be part of this um, amazing group of guys uh, on the court as well as uh, outside the court. So uh, I'm just so, so happy and delighted to be back. Uh, and I just, uh, I just wish for, for two matches uh, now. First of all, uh, one, one win in the semifinals. And uh, hopefully, we, uh, hopefully now we can take it all the way. Uh, I'm dreaming of this. And now that you have kind of reached your, got back to your peak again, if you were honest with yourself, back when you were injured, did you ever doubt you would get back here again at some stage? Um, <clears throat> I'm, I'm in, in these kind of situations where uh, I'm, I'm very det determined, uh, and all, all the way I was determined to get back to this uh, to this stage again, uh, to this exact tournament again. Uh, and uh, I tried to keep the doubt out of my mind and just focus on the hard work and uh, getting back in in shape and getting back uh, as uh, as good as possible in in, in the level this uh, requires. And you probably have a lot of video work coming up now in the next few days. Do you enjoy that side of the things, watching loads of Spanish games? Of course, of course, it's part of the game. It's, 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 it's where, it's where you can find the last percentages uh, when when you play these kind of games. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's the small details. It's, uh, it's the small communication uh, things that that we can improve in in the video room. Uh, and uh, and of course, it's going to be exciting. I'm looking very forward to it. Thanks very much. You're welcome. Best of luck. Thank you to Lauga Schmidt for sharing his insights. And he is a player that talked about coming back from injury. Another player who just came back from a major injury at 37 years old was Nikola Karabatic. And he showed why he is the greatest player of all time. And I, I'm, I'm with Stefan Kretschmer and Rasmus Boysen on this point that 
Nikola Karabatic truly is the best player of all time. And he just showed that heart of a champion in that second half because when France had nothing going for him, it was Karabatic who took over. And even though he couldn't do what he used to be able to do, like shoot, uh, jump shoot or break through fully, he just, he had the bravery and the courage to take on Denmark when no one on the French team had that. And I think that courage basically infiltrated the French mindset and allowed players like Dikamem and Desca and everyone else who showed up in that second half to believe in themselves. And when you see a 37-year-old guy just coming off an ACL injury diving for a ball in mid-court in the 55th minute, you know he's not going to let France lose. Um, and even though he's not the player he is, he was before, he is still something special. Yeah, it was uh, he played out of his skin. I mean, he, he, he kind of went beyond his means in that game, which is uh, a yeah, true heart of a champion in that regard. He does he is limited in comparison to what he's used and what we're used to seeing from him, but he managed to to really contribute there. And that was, a, I mean, in a, in a backcourt that really lacked leaders at times, he just kept going and you have to give him a huge amount of credit for that. Yeah, that time he dived on the ball and, and then he gave, gave the, the ball pass. away. <laughs> <laughs> and the ball just stuck to his hand. And then he's like, no, that didn't work that time. I'm going to do it again. And then he did it again a few minutes later. And then he did it right that time. Um, but I think in honor of Karabatic, even though he's not dead or anything like that, but in honor of his whole career, that move he does where he drops his shoulder, he's almost almost like he's going towards the wing and then shoots to, to the far post. That's 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 his trademark, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's it incredible was, how it much that works. Delight to see that work in the second half against uh, against Landy. Yeah, bravo! All right, so we move on to the other main round group then, and almost a carbon copy in terms of late drama. But this one went first in Bratislava on Tuesday night with uh, Sweden getting the job done against Norway. And for me, commentating on it, I de- didn't really know how they did it. <laughs> It just kind of happened in the last 10 minutes. So it looked like Norway were cruising. But it's it's momentum. Handball is a game of momentum. And on the 55th minute, Norway were up at, was it 23-19? So four goals up five minutes ago. And then they just forgot how to play handball. They forgot that they could take some time. They didn't have to shoot straight away. Um, but overall, what happened in the game was that Sweden's game plan worked. And uh, I mentioned this before uh, that matchup, and it was about Sweden slowing down the game. And they did exactly that for the whole game. And were especially in the second half, were able to kind of just methodically get back into the game, goal by goal, bit by bit, get into it, do their own thing. And um, there was a stat by uh, Hambolytics, Julian Rooks, which stated that Norway's average attack length in the tournament to date has been 30 seconds, just over 30 seconds, which is the fastest attack in the tournament. Mm. In this game, it was up to 42 seconds, which is equivalent to the slowest average attack in, in the tournament. So Sweden just imposed their game plan on them and step by step, goal by goal, 
Jim Gottfriedson breakthrough by breakthrough. Seems to give up. I felt like I was there right beside the bench for the, for almost the whole game as well. And what two things I noticed were Christian Berger towards the end, literally telling them to slow down. And they didn't. And it, they, it was almost like the closer Sweden got, the faster they wanted to play. Yeah. It was like this anxiety of, of like, oh, Christ, well, it's only two goals now. It's only one goal now. And they just kept up in the tempo and then just in, in that regard th- threw it away. It, and I think if you, hypothetical situation, you have a timeout, you take the whole Norwegian team off the court, you put the whole Croatian team on the court, you're four goals up with five, five minutes left. I can't see Croatia losing that. They'd be pretending they can't find the ball or something and slowing yeah. down and getting cramps and fixing their socks. And they'd be doing everything possible <laughs> to, or throwing the ball into the stands or whatever it would be like, or saying this ball is too wet, like, can we swap it out for another one? And they'd be doing everything, whereas Norway just didn't have that bad boy esque thing yeah. that you need in those last few minutes just to drag the game down and yeah, just it's pure shit housery. Yeah. That's they need lessons in it from Croatia. Although to be fair, Croatia blew it against the Netherlands. But ah, that's a different that was game. A different game. Yeah. I mean, but if if you put Croatia in a situation where they have that lead and there's a semi final on the line, yeah, they will they'll they'll actually they'll tuck the ball under the jersey and just charge <laughs> and just like say, get into a ruck or something. <laughs> Turn it into rugby. Uh anything to to stop the game and yeah it's a really really interesting point that yeah they just couldn't i mean didn't didn't even have to win it the draw was enough and they couldn't even manage that it was uh and sagerson had that shot with a good seven seconds left um easy to look back at it and say what you should have done like everyone i think has seen the screenshot of magnus gullerud in acres of space in the line just waiting looking at the uh, as sagerson goes up i mean yeah, he wanted to be the hero there, but you need yeah, to frame they, those shots. You need to, <laughs> you need to frame those shots. And uh, Peter Johannesson deserves a huge uh, shout out. Came on at halftime between the posts, third choice goalkeeper, fifty percent save rate, just like playing angry and playing amazing. Oscar Bergendahl as well. I mean, he really set the tone for Sweden and defense right at the start. Every time he wasn't playing is when they were in trouble. Like he. He made it his mission to go out and hit Sander over and over again. Um, it's amazing because Norway managed the game so well. It looked like they had actually learned their lessons from the past. They had done everything right. They rotated the squad. Christian O'Sullivan was having the best game I've ever seen him play attacking-wise. Mm-hmm. Banging shots in from I don't know where. And uh, But yeah, he said it in the post-match interview. Uh, we did it to ourselves. And that's it. And they... Uh, you know, people were writing to me afterwards saying, "Like, will Nor- like is this now Norway never going to win a close game again? They, they keep losing them mm. over and over again. Are they never going to learn their lesson?" Um, people were like, "Okay, that's actually that's this this uh, straw that broke the camel's back." Now we'll see. Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, people were saying that about Spain for years that they mm. couldn't win a Euro, and then all of a sudden now we're looking at them maybe possibly winning three Euros mm. in a row. So. I think these are these are tough lessons you probably yeah. do need to learn, and I think to become become that kind of team that will win championships like this, you probably need to go through a few of those. Yeah. Um, but I've never in my life seen a team. Well, that's not true. Probably not. Okay, in a very long time, I haven't seen a team so despondent after a game. Mm-hmm. It was incredible. I think they sat on the bench for so long afterwards, and just no one talking to anybody in complete silence, just sitting there, and it was just like absolute dejection from everything they've been through. Before the tournament, getting hockeyed by Denmark, and that's in that in that friendly, to then losing to Russia, then all of a sudden finding their form, and for fifty minutes of that game against Sweden, I was thinking 
they might win the Euro. Mm. They really looked so good. And this looked be- almost better than the team that we've seen, other Norway teams we've seen in the past. And I was thinking, this is incredible. And then all of a sudden, I was like, uh-oh. Yeah. Things are falling apart again. And I was genuinely a bit like, ah, oh, that's a shame. <laughs> no, it, it was. And I mean, that's the case with what happened both nights. And I think it goes back to your original statement and answers it a little bit there, Alex. Norway and Iceland were a hair away from reaching the semifinals. And Iceland's is more devastating, I think, for every handball neutral. I don't think there was anyone who wasn't playing for France who wanted France to go through. <laughs> Uh, maybe even a number of the French fans who uh, and uh, yeah so them in Norway it's real heartbreak but it it does show that there is like it is not a straightforward situation for those four teams that have gone through and even Spain who were on the verge of losing that game somehow against Poland they just really made life difficult for themselves uh, even right at the end, uh, with Rodrigo Corrales making two incredible saves to, to make, to, like, that would have brought Poland level. And then there was enough time for Spain to turn the ball over again and maybe concede a, concede a losing goal. But, but just, just on the, on the, uh, Poland Spain game as well. So Poland and Spain played a friendly just before the tournament. And the exact same thing happened where, Poland got a turnover in the last second, had a fast break, and Rodrigo Corrales saved the ball to, um, uh, I think, in the French. Did they win? I think it was a, a win because that's what um, that's what uh, Maciej Gabala said after the game. He's saying it was a very similar result, and uh, we're sick of these uh, beautiful losses. He said. Mm. <laughs> But yeah, incredible that, you know, just life repeated itself. And this time Poland had two chances and Rodrigo Corrales saved both of them. And maybe it's good to listen to what he thought of the game and Spain's chances going forward. Hi, Rodrigo, on the last one. (laughs) Okay. Um, Congratulations for Thank you very much. the semi-final. But I'd say you're probably relieved that that game is over when the whistle came. Yeah, yeah. We, we are really happy, of course, because it was a really tricky game, difficult game. It, it's, it was so hard for us to to, to finish with it because uh, I feel that we entered really good in the game, but then we felt a bit, of course, the pressure, the nerves, everything. It was a moment in the second half that we couldn't uh, get a good advantage and at the end it's kind of freedom when you get these two saves, you get these two points. It was everything perfect, so we are really happy just to go on to Budapest, so that's what we are searching for. Uh, talk to me about those two saves at the end. What was going through your head there? It was just completely blank. Yeah, I was saying this. It was one moment that we were speaking yes, with Gonzalo or with the guys on the bench, like, OK, let's go one more. Goalkeepers always we think about the next, about the next. So in the moment, I always was thinking, let's go. I need to save one more, one more. At the end, I'm really happy, of course, because uh, it helps a lot to the team to get these two points. But at the end, uh, you know, that's why we are here. Of course, we would like to make more during the game, but it was kind of really difficult game. So I really admire how Poland they play. They fight until the end. So, of course, we are really happy because we beat a really great team. 
I think it's coming into this game it was tricky to know what kind of Polish team you're going to be facing because some games they were up and some games they were down so it was kind of like you didn't know what, what kind of Polish team you're going to face and you actually ended up facing a very very good Polish team today yeah but always if you check the previous games between Spain and Poland against us they play really good of course uh, they missed some players and really important players but with this configuration they go today with Dasik and right back David in the okay in the middle back or Olenichak not so tall guys making one against one trying to play with people shoot you know from seven meters this they make really really good damage moving fast the ball running fast break okay they got a really nice championship uh, they lost today like this they draw against Russia but could be two points uh, they make really really good championship but at the end I feel that this is a team that in the future will be will be there up next year they got the chance at home so I mean <laughs> <laughs> Bravo for them, but it's really hard. Uh, you never know what to expect, but we know against Poland we always have problems. I think on the, a lot of people in the media and on the outside are saying that, that this, this people are, seem to think that the Spanish attack is, is suffering a little bit. Is that a fair thing to say, that maybe you need a bit more time to get the attack going again with so many changes in attack? Look, it's not uh, only many changes. It's that we started everything good. So in one period during the tournament, we lost Tarafeta or Canellas, which it helped a lot, which it means that we put more load on the players that are on the court. We are in game number seven. The legs they are not the same. We get Daniel Sarmiento, of course. He's already knows how it works the team, but he needs a matter of time just to get more time with the team, adapt, more practice, to be in better, of course, to feel better. But at the end, we are talking that seven games, it's quite hard. We don't have got these shooters from 10 meters or 11 that we would like. What I feel that most important is, even though we win like today or we lost against Norway, we are always fighting for the game, trying to win. And okay, against Norway we lose, but at the end we were fighting, we got chances, even though they play much better. Today we fight until the end. Let's see what happened in Budapest. We know our limitations, but we also know what, in what we are good. And I feel that with time and, and everything, it's quite positive that we are in semi-final, right? Because new players, everything, and still we, we managed to be there. So it, it speaks really good about Georgia's system and about the new talents they are coming. So let's see how it goes there, but we are sure that we are going to fight until the end. For you personally now, you're going to be going home almost yeah. to Hungary. <laughs> yeah. That must be kind of a nice feeling for you, a bit of comfort there almost. Yeah, of course. Uh, it's something that uh, we were talking in the club in Verspen, of course, like, oh, it's at home, at home. And last year I made the draw and I put to Spain in Bratislava, which at the end I was thinking, guys, I need to go to Budapest. But it was only a matter of time that we get on semi-final or not. So I was just trying and crossing fingers to be there because I feel... You know, uh, people in Hungary, they love Spain, so maybe we get a bit uh, chance that they come to support us. And, and let's see, but it's going to be a really nice arena. I hope, hopefully it will be full and this is going, there are going to be two games that will be a pleasure to play it. And of course, for me, it's going to be special. Might be a very silly last question, but how confident do you feel that you can take gold in Budapest? <laughs> To, sorry, how confident I feel? How what? confident are you feeling? You've been here before in this situation. How confident are you feeling going into the semi-finals that you can take gold? Well, it's difficult because we are in the same position, but we're different players. Every championship is different. We know that the three teams and the other part, Denmark, France or Iceland, that they can go through. They are playing really, really high level. Let's see tonight between Sweden and Norway, but what you can choose... 
father or mother, it's like really difficult to choose between one of them because they are really good. At the end, uh, it's going to be hard because the level of the other teams, I feel that they are going to be in Budapest, the best teams during the championship. And and at the end, it's, you need a bit of luck, a bit of to have these two good games. Uh, of course, we got the experience from previous experience, but you know, also Denmark, they are coming with confidence from the World Cups, everything, France from the Olympics. It's not that easy, but yeah. let's see, let's see. Uh, we wanted to of course, to make it this, this three times gold medal, but it's going to be hard now just to rest and let's see what it happened there. Better luck in some good goalkeeping, hopefully. Yeah, I hope that <laughs> I hope that it's going to be, let's say, better than today, but with the same finish, you know, the games, and, and let's see, let's see. But I hope at the end, doesn't matter with goalkeepers or not, but I hope that we are on the final and let's see. Yes, time to rest, but and thanks so much for taking so much time to talk to me here. I'm the last person. We're the last people here in the in the. In the well, no problem, no problem. It's always a pleasure, guys. Thank you so much. Okay, so that was Rodrigo Corrales speaking to me in the mix zone after their close encounter with Poland. Poland always seemed to be able to pull off a good game against Spain for some reason and then absolutely look like they should be playing against Ireland in a tournament <laughs> in the game before. <laughs> but uh, So let's quickly then look at the semi-finals, of course. So then we have Spain versus uh, Sweden and then France versus... No, sorry. Spain versus Denmark and then uh, France versus Sweden. Um, initial gut feeling about who will be in the final then, Chris. What do you think? Good feeling. Sweden, Denmark. What about you, Alex? Sweden, Denmark. Right. Um, well, just for the quality of no. the podcast, I'm going to say Spain, France in the final. <laughs> no, that's good because in the, in the last prediction round uh, we did, uh, both of you went for Norway and Iceland. Uh, and I was the contrarian in that case who picked uh, Sweden and France. So good, good to have a backup. Well, why do you think? Like, what's going to make the difference then in the in the semifinals, Alex? Starting with the uh, uh, Spain and Denmark. I think Spain just aren't that good. They're, 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 they're <laughs> 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 and Denmark are really, really good. So that that's the difference. Uh, you know, Spain. That's good, that's good analytics. <laughs> you know, Spain are, are still Spain. They have the defense. They have the experienced players, but they're relying on someone like Casado. You know, that they're banking a lot of their attack on Casado. And on the other side you have Mikkel Hansen and Matthias Gitzel. It's it, it's two worlds there. And I know we should never count out Spain. We've been burnt by it so many times. And there's a chance that the game will still be very close because that's what Spain do. They keep games close. But I don't think they have the quality. I don't think this Spanish squad has the quality to beat this amazing Danish team. Well, my biggest fear for the Spanish team in comparison to the last couple of years, they've always had really dependable line players that manage to get goals, easy goals for them. That is not there at the moment. The line play is a disaster. Uh, Adrian Figueres is a very good player, but he's not shooting well over the last couple of games. He could turn it on magically, but he just looks bereft of confidence. And uh, when you have to play Gideon Guardiola in there, you know that there's uh, 
you know, they're trying to scrap for uh, to put someone in there who can score some goals. And I think that's going to be really playing into Denmark's hands. And yeah, uh, I think Denmark will be playing angry after uh, the last couple, uh, the last performance against France. Yeah, I think so. How was Spain win? I, I said that just for the soundbite. Let me just be officially clear. So <laughs> I have all my bases covered. But no, it, it's going to be a very, it's, it's a very hard to see a road to victory for Spain. Um, you can see them stopping Denmark in, in, in their attack in, in certain points. But yeah, as I said, you're relying on untested characters in their attack to come up with the goods. And it's a, it's, it's a lot of ifs, whereas the Danish attack and defense does less ifs overall. So mm-hmm. it's, it's a, uh, it will need, I think, absolutely ex- exceptional goalkeeping from Paris of Argos or Corrales, who will just have the games of their lives to, to, to get the win for them. Cause, it's going to be an absolute slog for Spain in attack each time because you see it. If if it's not a fast break, they sometimes can go absolutely nowhere. Yeah, yeah. And in Sweden against France, we saw uh, flashes of the old French goalkeeping last night against Denmark. They still managed to win it. Uh, probably the most uh, outstanding example of how bad they can be was the semi final against Sweden last year in the World Championship. Will it be the same case, Alex? This one's a bit tougher to call, and uh, I'm going with Sweden because of what I've said previously, their whole attempt to slow down the game, which I think will be effective against France. Um, France are still missing a lot of pieces, so in in particular, Canton Maia, I think if he comes back, which he might, um, that, that might change things. But um, I think their center blocks just isn't quite there. And I think their kind of playmaker isn't quite there. So I think Sweden should win, even though they haven't been fully convincing. But I think they haven't been fully convincing in a very controlled manner, while France have been chaotic, unconvincing. Both sides feels to me like they are, like they don't have exactly who they want to have in every position um, in terms of. In particular the left back position for both teams. Um Jonathan Carlsbergard in the second half showed that he can do it. Um and hopefully he has the confidence built from that because he, he really looked like he, he didn't want to shoot in the first half against Norway. And it's a similar situation I think for France where they have they're putting in playmakers in there. So Mean, Mahe, uh Lagard and Karabadic are I think would all be better suited to having big players beside them because they're they're not out and out nine, ten, eleven meter shooters. Um so it really feels like both teams will have to shift a little bit to to create the chances they want. I've seen a lot of I've seen every France game uh very up close in this championship. My problem for them is that they've They've always had big spells in games where they've been shut down. And the uh, the huge example of that was the Iceland game as well. It was the first half of the Croatia game, second half of the Serbia game, first half of the Denmark game. They they just couldn't put it together for 60 minutes. And I think in a semi-final, that's going to hurt you. None of this stuff matters though, does it? No. Do you know how many times have we been here before? <laughs> and we were like, oh, look at all the form going into these games. Yeah. And then we know we get to semifinals and then all of that stuff can go completely out the window. And you have these characters in the French team who've been here a million times before and they just know how to get a win. And 
that's why I think I actually might fancy France against against Sweden because they've both come into this game. They're both coming into this game now having feel, felt like they're they've both kind of almost stole a yeah. semi final spot. They both had very similar games in that regard. Came from behind and then just right at the end won it. Uh, so they're both going to probably feel they can f- play without pressure because they were, were not. They gifted themselves this yeah. semi-final spot. So it's going to be a. I think it's going to be a great game. That one. It's uh, it's interesting what you said and very true about the you know the form. And if there's two teams that are really good at tearing the form book apart in these occasions, it's Spain and France. So, yeah, could my, we could well see them in that final. <laughs> I just want to add a last props. Uh, I don't think it got into it uh, for. Two amazing young players. One was Walter Krintz, which we did mention when we were discussing that mm, uh, Sweden-Norway um, game and his ginormous balls to take the penalty in <laughs> ten, 10 seconds to go and spin it over Berger's head. That was incredible. And my second one, my second props goes to Theo Monard. The young French line player from Nantes who really stepped up in that second half when Ludovic Fabregas got into foul trouble and eventually got his red card and the whole French centre block was being torn apart by Kirkeluka and Holm. It was Theo Menard who stepped up and um, steadied the ship, made some huge tackles and while he looked like a deer in headlights in attack on a fast break against Landine did not look like he was going to score. In defence, he really stepped up. So two exceptional young players that show there's uh, there's a lot of bright prospects in handball. Yeah, so there's players like that that show it's not a carbon copy of last year when you have players like that coming through. Yeah, well said, Alex. And uh, I think we can wrap up there. We'll see how it goes on Friday and we'll see if we'll be uh, coming back with our tails between our legs here with uh, Spain and France in the final. At least uh, we have Brian's audio clip. (laughs) (laughs) Goodbye. (laughs) 